it's a Latin word. The Romans invented it. If you have a problem with the word cis, go back like 2,000 years and take it up with them, not me. Okay, I don't want to hear it anymore. Yeah, it's like, have you tried reading a book? <laughs> <laughs> like, the word cis predates the entire English language. Like, get rolled. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hey everyone, I'm Caitlin Burns, and you're listening to Cancel Me Daddy, the show where we take a closer look at all the panic around cancel culture with thoughtful analysis and verbal shitposting. Joining me today is Leanna Garfield, who is a program manager for social media safety at GLAAD. Leanna, who are we canceling today? We are canceling social media platforms. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, it's not the first time we've done that on this show. Um, I, one of these days I wish it would actually work, though. <laughs> yeah, one of these days uh, platforms will actually face some um, accountability. <laughs> so, Leanna, for those of our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with you or your work, why don't you sort of give us the quick intro to who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, Thanks so much for having me. So I'm the social media safety um, program manager at GLAAD, which, if you're not familiar, is the nation's leading media advocacy nonprofit that fights uh, for greater acceptance and better representation of LGBTQ people. And previously, I worked for a global digital rights organization called Access Now. And before that, I was a journalist reporting on big tech and its influence on cities and our lives. And I saw recently that you guys had some wins on the social media hate speech front, I guess you could say, with Spoutable, Discord, and Post. Do you want to talk about that really quickly? Yeah, so recently we've actually seen some platforms adopt policies that better serve trans and non-binary users. So two significant policies that we've actually been advocating for years are prohibitions against targeted misgendering and deadnaming. And then secondly, um, prohibitions on content that promotes and advertises so-called quote-unquote conversion therapy. Um, so on the practice of targeted misgendering and dead naming, I want to be clear what we're talking about. What we're talking about here is this is not about unintentionally getting someone's pronouns wrong. These are targeted attacks. And the practice has emerged as one of the most common um, modalities for expressing contempt toward trans and non-binary people online. And more specifically, we've actually really seen um, the targeted misgendering and denaming of trans public figures as a way of mocking them, but also promoting this general anti-trans animus, which actually acts as a sort of like policy loophole. Yeah. So like on Meta's platform, so Facebook, Instagram, and Threads, um, private individuals actually don't receive the same kind of protection as public figures, which obviously is generally good. Like we want to be able to criticize um, public figures, but like in this case, it's not actually, um, you know, it's not the actual point of the policy being effective. So it essentially acts as this this loophole that hate actors are well, well aware of and then therefore take advantage of. Um, but the good news is that actually in the past month or so, um, Discord 
And then two smaller platforms called Spoutable and Post um, have adopted express prohibitions in their hate speech policies against targeted misgendering and dead naming. And um, TikTok has actually had this policy since 2021. The second thing that is really exciting um, is that in addition, Poutable Poutable. <laughs> Spoutable <laughs> and Post um, recently adopted policies against harmful conversion therapy content. Again, this is not like all content that is talking about conversion therapy because yeah. social media can be this place where survivors of con conversion therapy talk about their experiences and find community. What we're talking about here is promoting and advertising conversion therapy as a reputable form of healthcare mm -hmm. to try to quote unquote change someone's sexual orientation or gender identity. Yeah. Um, so Meta actually does have a policy against this, which is great. Yeah. Um, and so does Pinterest and, and Nextdoor, <laughs> weirdly, yeah. um, oh, wow. also okay. ha have these policies. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I like, honestly, you know, the, those wins, they do seem sort of small, but they are really significant. And I do think we'll have yeah. a, a really great impact on, on a lot of people. I'm trying to imagine somebody advertising conversion therapy or advocating for conversion therapy on like next door. Because um, <laughs> yeah. that's just not the image that I have in my brain for that platform. I usually, uh, I think of like um, local racists and NIMBYs, but that's just me. <laughs> I mean, y you never know. Like, I don't know. You never know. <laughs> Um, I wanted to go back to Facebook really quick because I actually have a personal story about that. Are you familiar with Posey Parker? I am, yes. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, she made a really nasty Facebook post about me, um, which I mm. thought was quite strange because I don't think I've ever actually written or even tweeted about her um, in any kind of depth. Like maybe I made passing comments here or there. I'm not sure what I did to get under her skin, but if I remember right, she dead named me, um, mm. misgendered me repeatedly, like did everything short of threatening personal violence on me. It, it very much felt like she made a post where she was trying to get her people to attack me in some way. Um, not necessarily physically, but online. Yeah. And I remember at the time I had been in touch with somebody on Facebook safety team for some other project. And I went to this person, not in any official way, just being like, hey, like, this seems like it violates your policies. Mm. And um, so she's like, wow, yeah, this is really awful. Let me get back to you on this. Let me like ask around and see what, see what I can do. Apparently, she sent it to somebody else on the safety team that was in a different department or like a different slightly different responsibility and they looked at it and they came back to me and their answer was well caitlin uh, you're a public figure and therefore you don't have the same protections as our terms of service and i was like well that doesn't make any sense because <laughs> i had applied a couple months earlier to be verified on facebook and they came back and they told me that i was not enough of a public figure to be verified wow. but i was enough of a public figure to like have these people just make viciously nasty posts about and i'm like this doesn't make any sense to me like well yeah 
I, I don't know that I have a question for you, but like, what the fuck? <laughs> Honestly, Caitlin, that's how I feel um, most days. <laughs> It, it it doesn't make sense. And it's honestly mind boggling most mm-hmm. of the time. I also just want to say, like, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Um, and it, it shouldn't, right? And Meta and other social media platforms, mm-hmm. generally, are not living up to their company values. They're not only not enforcing their own policies, but you know, the moments when Mark Zuckerberg goes on the stage and says, we are connecting the world, or hate speech is not allowed on Meta's platforms. That's not true. Mm-hmm. It's it's simply not true. And again, like, we have the receipts that that's not true. Meta knows that's not true. Um, and they have known for a long time. This mm-hmm. is not new news. But I think what this is, like, largely pointing to is, like, these are giant corporations that at the end of the day, their motives are primarily driven by profit. Like, look, like these are private companies, which means at the end of the day, they exist to prove to their shareholders that they might one day turn a profit. Mm -hmm. So their business models are primarily motivated by revenue, Mm -hmm. which as we've seen, not just in this case, but many other cases, like this does not always serve human rights and public health and safety. So what is manifested is this entire online economy around the promotion of hate speech and disinformation and harassment that has real world harm that is like affecting people Mm -hmm. and that both the both the platforms and these nefarious actors like Posey Parker are profiting from, Mm -hmm. you know, folks like Matt Walsh make money from YouTube every time someone watches his anti-trans videos which he then also drives traffic to his merch and books or whatever. Platforms like Meta and Twitter make money when anti-LGBTQ groups and commentators place ads targeting queer and trans people. Um, You know, like actually Media Matters did a really um, interesting study, um, a really great investigation last year and found um, that Meta had profited from over 200 ads promoting the groomer trope Um, Mm -hmm. even though the company has actually publicly stated that groomer content, quote unquote, in that context of, you know, basically asserting that LGBTQ people are harming children or sexually Mm -hmm. abusing children violates its hate speech and advertising policies. So what they Mm -hmm. say they do and how they manage and operate these platforms is often very different. The experience of users is vastly different. At the same time as that, like explicitly pro LGBT content is often like demonetized or um, deprioritized in these companies' algorithms. Like the, there's a serious imbalance there. Um, but I, I guess my question is, is, how did we get to this point with, with these companies where they are finding that like hate speech is kind of a profit center? So I would say overall, trust and safety as a department is is not a department that makes these companies money. Um, mm-hmm. What makes money are algorithms that amplify content that, you know, gets people to react, gets people coming back to the app. Um, unfortunately, enragement does lead to engagement. I think mm-hmm. TikTok weirdly has a little bit of a slightly different biz- business model. I mean, their business model is okay. is very much primarily focused on 
getting people to come back to the app. But I think they do that in a little way that's like less based in like the sort of like anger, uh-huh. <laughs> sort of like, you know, psychological warfare <laughs> that I think other uh-huh. platforms want to like instigate. Like I, I, I believe and I see the ways that Elon is just like, I mean, he's just running the platform as a troll, like, and that is yeah. his business model. Um, you know, but it's, it's actually like interesting because I feel like currently we're in this frankly bizarre environment of, of platforms not wanting to engage with civil society and the communities that are like impacted by their decisions, mm-hmm. like even compared to a few years ago, like pre-Elon Musk, the team at Twitter was actually very engaged with civil society. And there there yeah. was this willingness to apply basic human rights frameworks. I, I think that that was because, not just because like they wanted to make a good service, but I do think that there is an economic case for good business practices. But mm-hmm. I do think that like the... I don't know, just like the standards have, have shifted so much. I think the political environment has shifted so much and we are just seeing this play out online as well. But I think to answer your question overall, like I do think it is a case of capitalism, unfortunately. Yeah. Overall. I mean, you brought up Elon Musk and we've had many, many shows about him and Twitter. Uh, Twitter is my primary social media outlet myself. Uh, so I have, unfortunately many years of experience with their policies the way that i interact with twitter as a queer person as a trans person as you know a public figure known for both i i just don't expect anything at all from them i mean they have an owner who's out there going sis is a slur calling someone sis is not allowed according to my rules but i don't really see that in the rules and i still call i still say the word sis all the time by the way it's a Latin word. The Romans invented it. If you have a problem with the word cis, go back like 2,000 years and take it up with them. Not me. Okay. I don't want to hear it anymore. Yeah. It's like, have you tried reading a book? <laughs> <laughs> like the word cis predates the entire English language. Like get rolled. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> yeah. It's wild. So like, I-, I just have zero expectations of any safety, but I also take a lot of protections, like I, I have a lot of protections built into the way I use the platform. I only see notifications from people who actually follow me or who I follow, mm-hmm. and that limits a lot of what I am exposed to. I mean, I have so many followers, it would literally be impossible to use the app if I saw every notification, every reply to everything that I ever tweeted. And, you know, when I start getting the pylons i have a procedure that i follow that's very effective where i you know lock down for a while and i lay low or i log into blue sky and start using that (laughs) but it seems to me as queer people like we can't depend on any of these outlets really to protect ourselves um, except for the few that you maybe mentioned at the beginning of the show yeah um we we have to depend on ourselves and each other and that um, optimistically, that is something that the queer community has always throughout history been very good at. But you're right, like, <laughs> the owner should not be on the user when it comes to basic safety mechanisms, especially when we know that people from marginalized groups, queer, trans, people of color, 
Like we know that those groups are disproportionately affected by hate speech and harassment. That is why these platforms have these policies. They have these policies yeah. for a reason. But you're right. Like the, the onus primarily is on the user. That is the mission of, of GLAD Social Media Safety Program is to advocate on behalf of the queer community to push these platforms to do better, to not only have these basic policies in place, but also to enforce these policies as well. And how do you get these companies to listen to you? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> we have many, many different strategies. Um, so one thing that we do um, every year is we um, put out the Social Media Safety Index, which is our annual report that looks at the state of um, LGBTQ safety online on um, five major platforms. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, I will never call that company X. Um, TikTok. The one case where dead naming is okay. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, YouTube. <laughs> and um, actually this year we are going to look at threads as well. Um, oh, okay. So, but we, so the report looks on um, the company's uh, public facing policies, which is not the necessarily the enforcement of those policies, which is something yeah. that is, if you're trying to measure that in a quantitative way, it is near, yeah. it is nearly impossible, um, especially as many of the platforms have closed down their, their API access, which really does restrict re researchers' access to being able to like understand like what is actually happening on these platforms and how hate speech is either you know, uh, mitigated or amplified. Um, so, so that is, that is one big way that like at GLAD, we are trying to like publicly pressure these companies because one thing that we have found is that these companies really do care about public perception to some degree. Um, I do think that like, you know, in the last several years, like there has been a lot of reporting and negative press come out about um, these tech companies and the harms that they're creating and, and facilitating, including, you know, fueling violence in, in many places around the world, um, including Myanmar and, and Kenya. Tough stuff. Like this is a really big, complicated, big issues. But that is the work of advocacy, right? It's like, it's hard to know if you are actually making change day to day. But I do think that the more that we have these conversations, the more that we push back against these platforms, I do think that that, that does matter and that that does lead to this in incremental progress yeah. that we see over time. And like I mentioned, like those, those policies that platforms are implementing, that does set them apart from their competitors in a yeah. lot of ways. What do you say to those conservatives who say like... Um oh, if I'm not allowed to misgender a trans person, that is, you know, censorship, or that is silencing me, or you're persecuting. Like, what do you say to those people? When that comes up, like, what, what what's your response to that? I think it's very valuable to frame and ground uh, what we're actually talking about here, um, yeah. which is that all major social media platforms have community guidelines. And within those community guidelines are things like hate speech and harassment policies, which say, do not post content 
that targets people on the basis of protected characteristics, including race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, gender identity, disability, et cetera, et cetera. So these policies, they exist for a reason. Like we live in a society in the real world. Like we have basic societal norms that are like, hey, please don't yell a slur at the person walking down the street. Like the goal is not to censor people. It's just asking people to treat others with a basic level of respect and dignity. Like there are very good reasons that we have anti-discrimination laws in the U S which is not about restricting free speech, but it's about working toward creating a society that we all can and want to live in. But I also think that these bad actors, they know that. They're not yeah. stupid, but they try to they try to like twist the conversation around in this really disingenuous way um, that it just like it turns everything upside down. <laughs> um, like I think we really like, if I may, like give sort of this example of how it manifests. Um, last year, at, I don't know, did you see the um, speech from Michael Knowles at CPAC? I did. I wrote about it for MSNBC, I think. I think it was MSNBC. It was either that or extra. I I don't remember. (laughs) Michael Knowles, who, if you're not familiar, he's a Daily Wire commentator who frequently targets uh, queer and trans people and other marginalized groups online. And he went on the stage of the conservative political what does that stand for conservative political action action conference conference, i think yeah so he was on the stage at cpac and he had this whole speech and there was this particular phrase that he said multiple times that which was transgenderism must be eradicated from public life entirely for the good of society transgenderism must be eradicated um, and he actually, I don't know if you know this, but he said he said this phrase multiple times on a YouTube video. Like he almost tested it online first on YouTube. And then a few days later, he went on the CPAC stage. And then he did another video with the same phrase after. So this is just like an example of this sort of like disingenuous, like malign creativity that 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 pushes the boundaries of these hate speech policies. But any rational person looking at that, especially a queer or trans person, is like, hey, like, that is genocidal rhetoric. Like, it's obvious what he's saying. He's calling for the eradication of trans people. Yeah. It, just because you add an ism onto the end, yeah. like, that, that, like, that does not I, obscure what you're actually saying to your followers and to others. But for some reason, these platforms, they do this little dance and they're like, hey, no, that's not actually what's happening. He's critiquing an ideology, not people, which platforms, policies, they don't protect, you know, concepts or institutions or ideologies, Uh which makes sense. Like you should be able to quote unquote criticize a which is not actually what he's doing it's not criticizing anything um he's just promoting hate and animus towards trans people but like you should be able to do that but that's not actually what's happening here if he was calling for the eradication of judaism like we would know that he's absolutely talking about jewish people 
Um, like any sane person understands that. So, and you know, like Glad had to flag it multiple times to YouTube before they finally enforced their policies and, and Meta and, and Twitter just took no action. It's just wild. Yeah. I always find that that sort of parsing really funny because if you take away the idea of people being trans, yeah, like I, I no longer would exist as a trans person. <laughs> like trans people would no longer exist if you got rid of the idea of being trans, right? Right. So you are still eradicating people. Yes. It's not really an idea that you're pushing back against, right? And and I think the, the Judaism example really fits. You could put anything in there if you say, you know, I think we should eradicate Chineseism. <laughs> <laughs> like everybody would understand what you're actually saying and, and rightfully look at you like you're out of touch with reality. Um, but because we're the quote unquote controversial political you know issue they get away with it a lot the thing that i always go back to when we have this discussion in particular where conservatives are saying you know if you stop me from doing xyz it's censorship i think that people really need to look at the impact that the harassment does like i know a bunch of trans people who have literally been harassed off of the internet right um they have effectively lost their right to free speech online because they've been driven offline by harassment. So nobody ever considers their free speech rights in these discussions. Right. And I I, I really wish there would be more consideration of that because if I'm walking down the street and somebody's following me yelling the same things that they tweet at me, like I'm going to leave the area. Right. Right. (laughs) Like, any rational and and a bunch of other people will also leave right yeah so you have now controlled that space for speech yeah like there is no other free speech other than the guy yelling the t-slur on the corner or whatever in my example i don't know i think at that to me is the heart of these anti-harassment policies these these anti-hate speech policies is it actually protects free speech because it protects the right for people to exist and continue to express their opinions in spaces like social media that are literally designed for speech. When you talk about the dynamic gets reversed, I agree with you 100%. And that's exactly how they do it. Yeah, no, that is, that is such a good point. Um, I love what you just said about they exist also to protect freedom of expression. Besides that element, we know that, you know, this these real world incidents against queer people and other marginalized groups like they don't happen in a vacuum like in the past year um glad actually documented more than 700 anti-lgbtq incidents like motivated by hate across the u.s so they, they range from assault to vandalism to harassment like death threats and and they they are connected to and fueled by this ecosystem of of hate and extremism online. Um, the, the internet is really no longer this separate place. Like, like maybe it was in the, in the nineties, like, and the companies know that their platforms cause this real world harm. Like, yeah. again, like they have the data, they know. And then on top of that, like there's, there's, they face little to no regulation. Um, unlike other industries that impact public health and safety, like unlike the EU, like we don't have a federal data protection regulation in the US. 
which actually would go a long way to um, <laughs> mitigating, you know, hate and disinformation. We don't like to talk about data protection because it's not as much of like a sexy issue, like content yeah. moderation. Um, but if if people's privacy were better protected, these algorithms wouldn't be designed as much in a way to to target them and amplify, you know, certain kinds of t- content in that way. Yeah, I remember um, I did. I wrote a story, I want to say, a couple of years ago, uh, and it was right at the beginning of the trans athlete panic. Mm. I'll have to go back in in my archives and find it. I think I wrote it for Vox, which would have put it 2001, maybe. (laughs) Um, But I remember uh, Media Matters came to me and they were like, hey, we found this really interesting piece of data that we thought might be interesting to you. And I was like, well, what is it? And they're like, well, we found that the most read sports related story on Facebook in like 2001 or whatever year it was, was about a trans athlete. Wow. (laughs) And it was like an anti-trans article from, I don't know, some conservative outlet. But out of all of the sports stories <laughs> that were on Facebook, oh like gosh. the Super Bowl or mm. whatever, the most read wow. article was about some like, I think it might have been um, uh, 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 the, the trans swimmer Leah Thomas. I think that might have been mm. about her. Okay, And I was like, that's wild to me like how is this even possible and it has to be algorithmic like people have to be reacting negatively to it and it's getting boosted yeah absolutely and and the and the and the platforms have designed algorithms to amplify that kind of content because it because they it will you know no, no matter how you feel about that story it it it, it might elicit some kind of you know, response in you that is is going to get you to engage, is going to get you to share, is going to get you to fight in the comments. Um, And again, like that ultimately at the end of the day does not, (laughs) does not help trans people. Um, It, it, you know, it helps the platforms and it helps these bad actors. Um, So, and it, and it continues to see these really harmful narratives that, have have existed way before the internet um you know this sort of like moral panic you know with like groomer and stuff like mm-hmm. th- all all of those like tropes that that we see online that that feel you know new um they're really not they're just recycled <laughs> yeah and 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 they're on these new mediums you know so i think a, a last question for you here how can like regular people try to affect change in this area? Our listeners listening at home, yeah. what can they do to sort of change the tide with these companies? I guess my first response to that is, and I know it can feel disheartening to continue to re- to report content, but it 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 does matter when you do re- report um, hate content that is violative of their policies. Um, and if you do that on um, Facebook or Instagram, so- sometimes um, 
I don't know if you're familiar with the oversight board, but um, the oversight board will give you an ability to like appeal a content moderation decision by Facebook or Instagram. So, you know, those, those decisions and having those cases taken up by the oversight board can be meaningful because while they're not binding, Meta does need to respond to them in some capacity. So that would be my first piece of advice. Um, And then my second piece of advice would just be like, Overall, like continue to have these more nuanced conversations, you know, regarding the attention economy and the power <laughs> that these corporations have on our lives. Like I said before, like I, I really enjoyed the episode you did with, um, you know, Bridget Todd on mm-hmm. coordinated disinformation campaigns, um, aka lies <laughs> and <laughs> and the real implications of that. And I think that there yeah. is like, you know, an importance of looking at these things with a more more critical eye because I do think it does take a little bit of the power away. You know, yeah. like like we we want we, we want these bad actors to have some sense of like justice. We want the, the platforms to enforce their policies, but that realistically doesn't always happen. So like what you can do is control your own attention and how you interact on the internet. And, you know, like, if you see a post, and you, and you notice that you're having this visual reaction, like, chances are, like, there's, there's a reason why, like, where we put our attention matters. And it's really important to, like, be intentional about, about where you put your energy and attention, and I guess, like, invest in actual community. Like, yeah, you know, ideally, that's what these platforms and what social media is supposed to be doing and they are in a lot of ways like especially for the queer community social media is this place where we have found connection when maybe our our families you know have abandoned us like it is place where we can meet people and find community and be affirmed by others who have the same lived experiences that that we do but like online is not the only place to do that like you know, so that's what I would say, like, overall is be thinking about like, okay, how how can I actually like get what I get what I want, which is like to have real connection, have real conversations with people. And like, that might happen online, but like, it can also happen offline. (laughs) So in summary, log off. (laughs) Are you telling me to touch grass? Are you kidding me? I could never. You know, maybe like have have a phone call. <laughs> so, Liana, are you ready for some out of context cancellations? Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> what do you know about out of context cancellations, by the way? I know that you ask your listeners for ideas, right? About things that yes. they want to cancel. Yes. Um, and because... We are the all-powerful cancellation show. Unfortunately, we lost our canceled daddy when he was all over, but uh, we have the power to cancel all of this stuff. I hope you know that. Yeah, we still have the power. <laughs> so the first one we're going to go for is we're going to cancel Walmart for investing in AI search instead of improving their website's reliability. I, I'll be honest. I don't frequent um, walmart.com, so I don't, I don't have a lot of... Um... <laughs> I don't have too much to say about that. I'm just generally opposed to the, all of this AI stuff. Um, but, you know, that's just me. Maybe it's the writer in me who feels a little bit threatened by the machines. I don't know. Totally. Next, we're going to cancel uh, Max, who, which used to be HBO Max, for canceling Our Flag Means Death. Now, I never got to watch this show uh, because I don't, I'm not a Max subscriber. 
but I know a lot of people are devastated by this. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I've I've never seen it either. Allegedly, it's about fabulous gay pirates, so I might have to check that out at some point. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. Okay, maybe I will check that out then. <laughs> Next one, we have a more specific uh, request here. We're canceling taking a 90-minute Uber with your skirt cut in the door when it's raining. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> yeah. Oh. We're not canceling 89-minute Ubers, by the way. Only 90 minutes. <laughs> to be specific. Um, I I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I would have just, like, ripped the Band-Aid off and, like, just, like, you know, like, open the door really quickly and just, like, shut it, you know? But I know it's it's not good to um, open the door uh, when a vehicle is in motion. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you don't notice, actually. Oh, um, I, I've had it before where I didn't notice, so that that was never fun. I don't, I don't think it was raining that day, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, next, we're gonna cancel sinus headaches. Okay, everyone has been sick. Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Like, I've had a, I've had a cold for like a month now, basically. It's just the way it is now, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> thanks covid <laughs> thanks covid i guess we should also cancel covid we should cancel covid we have canceled we've tried to cancel covid several times on this show <laughs> unsuccessfully it's, it's it's like that monster in horror films that like it, it just keeps <laughs> popping up like even after you yeah. kill it it just like won't die <laughs> next we're gonna cancel 7 a.m meetings oof who is taking 7 a.m meetings not me. I'm never awake at no, seven. Forget that. No. I'm, I'm fast asleep at seven a.m. <laughs> um, and then, lastly, we are canceling office politics and inter-office fights. Hmm. Y'all, it's not that deep, you know. It's just like we just <laughs> we just need to like send our little emails and then go home, like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is why I work for myself. <laughs> That's that's a good strategy. It's a good strategy. I will say I will say working at Glad is just awesome because I'm just all of my coworkers are gay. <laughs> <laughs> so like just you know, everything on Slack is just like, oh my gosh, did you see the little Nas X video drop? Like <laughs> <laughs> that's our version of, of office politics, I guess. Speaking of working for myself, if you would like to submit your own out-of-context cancellation, you can do so on our Discord, and you can get Discord access by becoming a Patreon subscriber. Uh, Subscribing to Patreon also gives you other perk options like getting access to episodes early, and your support helps me pay my amazing editor. Um, And also maybe become a weekly show in the future? I don't know, that's still on the back burner. Uh, But you can join and learn about those perks at patreon.com slash cancelmedaddy. Leanna, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a real pleasure uh, getting to talk about this horrible, horrible stuff with you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Caitlin. Today's show was made by me, Caitlin Burns, and my amazing editor, Maria Paleologos. Dee Petersmith made our theme song, and Eden M.W. designed our graphic. Our show is made possible by the incredible cancelers supporting our work, especially the members of our Canceler Hall of Fame, with the great power to cancel all their enemies. Meg, we appreciate your support. Happy canceling! <laughs>